Welcome to Lizard Brain Radio, the bi-weekly podcast for the lizard lovers of herpeticulture. I'm your host, Bill Bradley, and this is your brain. And we're live. Awesome. Episode 50, which I'm pretty excited about because, you know, the milestone. Um, Of course, it's me. So I literally put out the link and did all the blast stuff probably three minutes ago because we were on the way home from a Boy Scout show. doing reptile shows like we always do and i had been talking to my guest and sent her the link and she knows how i am that we were running behind Uh, so again for the second time we are broadcasting to all the different uh thn lbr and cbx spots which is pretty cool uh so it goes out to more folks so that's that's fun i am rocking the crocodile conservation shirt after literally just talking to folks in the THN group chat uh, about some goober who got tagged by an alligator trying to do some nonsense, I had literally just come back uh, from showing an alligator with Teresa to a bunch of Boy Scouts about not to do that. So that'll be fun. Um, What's up, Jessica? Yeah, I am pretty stoked. Uh, I'm glad Erica uh, was able to make it. I sent her the link. So she will come along as she comes along. Uh, As usual, I was running around with all the reptiles. And uh, so that was my bad getting her the link late. But we will see how it goes. I posted in the little blurb for the show notes type of thing that NARBC is next week. So I'm pretty stoked about that. Uh, VivTech always does cool stuff. So I can't wait to talk to them about that. And I'm going to be back uh, in the Illinois area for the show. I probably will only be there on Sunday, but we will see how it goes. I I will likely miss the auction, which sucks because that's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, we're still trying to wait and see. Maybe Teresa will go in my place. Um, She's not as prolific of a silent bidder as me on all the silent auction things. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, I always wander around and try to scope out artwork uh, and books. And there's always really cool stuff at those auctions. And it goes to support US Arc, which is cool. So it's always a good time. I am checking because I sent the link. So we will see what happens. And Erica literally posted 20 minutes ago on Instagram that she was cleaning toke geckos. So we'll see if she notices her phone dinging uh, that I am messaging her. I put in the show notes along with the NARBC note. Oh, there we go. We're back. That um, talking about VivTech, talking about UV, uh, which is kind of a hot button ish topic i think everybody realizes that by this point um i am in the cool position of actually being friends with erica and ryan and was friends with erica and ryan before VivTech, so i kind of got to see uh probably a little more behind the scenes than most people did as it came about and then now to see is the progression of uv and how folks are using it how the debate is progressing uh with you know, the advent of companies like VivTech and then companies like Arcadia that have, you know, been longtime uh, players in that realm. So that's been pretty cool. And it's 
those ideas, you know, the, the UV idea and, and Arcadia and VivTech and companies that like you hear me, I guess, specifically, I only can speak for myself, but like when you hear me talk about stuff like that on Lizard Brain Radio or you hear me on Snakes and Stogies or, or any of the shows, you 50 other podcasts that I've been on, um, I, I use that stuff. Like I'm not just making it up or randomly talking. Um, let's see what happens. Erica says, please hold as my Facebook has had a heart attack. So we all know how that goes and she will come along shortly. Um, yeah, I, I actually use the stuff. I am a proponent of it and I talk about it on the show and talk about it with guests or, or when I'm a guest, whatever, um, because I do it. Like it's kind of the same as the black box. Like you hear us talk about it all the time, but the, I, I have them, I use them. They're cool. I like them. I see good results from them. And so that's what I end up reporting back. I, I bring that back to people that ask me. Um, I am kind of stoked to talk to Erica about it because it's, it's such a hot button topic in some, you know, social media, online debate kind of things that um, you can really tell. I don't know. I guess it's very localized um, because companies like VivTech, they're small and like you can you can literally go ask them and so that's one of the cool things i thought and i was hoping to kind of um broach that in the podcast idea of we all you know we always have the group chat you guys always ask questions and, and kind of come out in force which is cool <laughs> um but i i specifically mentioned narbc um because like eric and ryan we, we all live around here like they go to those shows um Ryan goes to bunches and bunches of shows, but um, they're accessible people and are the founders and face of that company. And so I just think it's cool that like there's a debate about UV or debate about the lights or debate, you know, I don't know about this, that, or the other thing. And there are questions and whatever you, you can just go ask them. Like they're literally standing right there at any RBC um, or any of these other shows. And I, I've always thought that was cool because when you, in the same vein as the animals, when you go to a show as opposed to buying online or sometimes maybe even buying in a pet store, you, you can stand there and talk to a person who can tell you, oh, I hatched this out or I got these babies or what have you. And that's like always been the big pitch or the big idea of um, the social aspect, the interpersonal aspect and things like that of why people like reptile shows. Okay, cool. Now this is is that thing, but for equipment, for lights, or for whatever the case may be. Um, Redline Science, when they came out with all their tongs and stuff, you could stand there and talk to them like, hey, what'd you do? Why'd you do this? Where'd you get that idea? And you could meet that person and speak to them. Venom Life Gears, the same idea. You know, you talk to Woody about the hooks and stuff that guy's standing right there and that's the dude that made it. So you can just go ask him. Um, I've always thought that was super cool. Uh, and this VivTech in particular was doing something new and was doing something a little hot button with the whole UV thing. And then you had people online and then they would come to people like me as well, you know, cause I am a proponent of them. And so people would want to ask me questions and 
well, why this or how that, or what do you use about this light and so on and so forth. And they're, they're accessible. You could just go ask them, you know, they answer their, um, they answer their social media or, or in person at shows and things like that. And I, I've always really enjoyed that. Lance, I know I'm, I'm trying to bring her on. I got that. Did Yeah. The professor picture. I saw that too. When she sent me that, I was like, really dude. Um, I, to her credit, she did give me two choices of picture uh, and one was much more of a uh, professional headshot and the other one was the professor and I went professor. So uh, I, I did pick the professor headshot, but she is the one who sent it to me. So it's not my fault. Um, no, I'm, I'm pretty stoked uh, on that front. I think it's funny that she sent me that um, because of all the research and all the things that have gone into what they do. Um, I don't know that that whole thing like it's it's a pretty hardcore debate and then when you read the science on it it's there's not much to debate like it's it's a it's a really interesting topic uh i'm glad that they they made the leap with their company uh when they did and i'm glad they did it the way that they did it uh and so i, I hope it continues to progress um, i do think it's funny that she picked a photobiology book to share for her picture that was pretty good let's my phone keeps buzzing so I, I assume she's fighting the good fight with the uh electronics Ooh, since i am bringing erica on and i do have local folks uh that listen to this or if you're not local and you're going to be around the wildlife discovery center in illinois is a small zoo oh, i heard the beep there she is she exists Hey, I got it. What's up? I'm plugging the wildlife discovery center real quick. Ooh, nice. Because it's something Erica just had on her social media. The wildlife discovery center is a small zoo in Illinois that is closing its doors and had a killer reptile collection. And a part of their closing is that they are moving enclosures and some different things. And a lot of the enclosures are, already have their built-ins there's a lot of equipment there's a lot of really cool stuff and if you are a herp history kind of nerd especially narbc tilly coming up uh stuff in the midwest different things that people have seen over the years uh as those enclosures are moved out of the zoo private people can now own some of those enclosures and kind of be involved in that you know be a, a little part of the story or have a piece of that so that's something for folks to be aware of especially if you're going to end up in our live chat or you're going to end up listening to the episode and go social media stalk one of the guests like everybody always does uh, if you're looking at erica or ryan's pages they were both talking about it in stories and posts and things like that uh helping out the wildlife discovery center so that was really cool you're here hello and i am are we live because then i have to tell ryan that i'm live <laughs> you are live <laughs> happened i just stuck you right in um so then I will definitely make sure I don't swear as much, but yeah, no, I just told him, he's like, I'm going to watch you live. I'm like, I'm not live for this. No, I am. Damn it. Yep. It's all good. So speaking of that, Erica for, I don't, this is a weird podcast. Cause I feel like everybody who's in a list of my podcast would know who you are, <laughs> but there maybe, you know, I, I do have quite a few uh, overseas and international listeners, which is kind of weird, but kind of cool. So maybe That's they don't. Awesome. Uh, so Erica is one half of the Ryan and Erica McVeigh couple who are VivTech. Uh, 
And so when she references Ryan, or if Ryan ends up in the group chat uh, making fun of her or me, that's because we're friends and I know them and that's who she's married to. So uh, it probably will happen at some point. Yep. So for the seven people who will listen to this who don't know who you are and don't know what VivTech is, please tell them and then I will pepper you with questions about UV. Ooh. So I'm Erica. <laughs> hey, I'm excited about it. I'm Erica McVeigh. Um, I am one of the founders of VivTech Products. So our keystone basically is our LED lights. We brought in UVB, UVA LED lights that prolong the health of your animal. And that's simply by having bulbs that last for longer than six months with adequate UV output. Um, the other claim to fame for our bulbs is the fact that we have UVA. We have a huge broad spectrum UVA. A lot of other bulbs have it, but not quite to the level that we do. So that's something we were very um, focused on when we did it. But a lot of our other products that are coming out are based on advancing husbandry and then also trying to build up the new advancing standards of husbandry so that we're not always here. We're actually trying to like raise it up a little bit more. Ryan has a better elevator pitch. That's mine because that's the important part for me. Well, <laughs> that sounds like a whole bunch of reptile nerd talk. And we already had in the group chat someone asking about bringing on the professor because that's the picture I chose that you sent me. So <laughs> given that you wanna, you're talking about UV and health and, and all this nonsense of bettering reptile care, um, it sounds like and this is fun because I know all about you and we're friends and I get to. I would say, I'm like, this is um, like, I'm It so sounds scared. like you might have a background that might give you some insight into healthcare about reptiles and maybe why that's important. So, yeah. what might that be? Sorry, try and tell my Frenchie to be silent for a little bit. Um, so, I do have a background, I have an extensive background in exotic animal medicine which focus really heavily on reptile and amphibian and then zoo animals on top of it because why go small, go big, as well as like teeny tiny little green adults. Um, but I have, oh my God, it's been like 15 years or something like that. Like, I don't want to do the math, Bill. Don't make me do the math. It's going to make me cry <laughs> if I have to do the math. In my mind, I'm still like 20. I know I'm not, but in my mind, I'm still like in my 20s. Um, but I've been doing that. I so mean, the other picture I, choice you sent me was very high school headshot. It was very, it was nice. It was professional, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that was one that I used for my uh, previous job, but no, I have um, a lot of extensive work through um, exotics only animal hospitals. I have worked at um, zoological facilities, USDA class C exhibits. That was probably one of the coolest things I got to do with a lot of USDA work. And then also working with a diagnostic lab too. So I got to see the ins and outs of how animals are tested. Um, and then we're friends with another diagnostic lab and I lend a little bit of support to them every now and then. So there's a lot of nerd knowledge in there about like why your animal's broken. I might not be able to tell you exactly how to keep your animal, but I can tell you what to do if it's broken. <laughs> and on the vet tech side of things, you were at one time working with ARAV. Yes. Yep. And yep. what is a what is ARAV? So ARAV is the Association of Reptile. It's now reptile and amphibian veterinarians. Before it was reptilian, because we we're like, ah, we're reptilian. 
because we think we're hilarious. Um, but it's Association of Reptile and Amphibian Veterinarians. And what that is, it's an international coming together of everybody who does veterinary medicine and loves reptiles. It doesn't necessarily mean they only see reptiles in their practice. Some of them don't even see that many reptiles in their practice. They're just True. passionate <laughs> about, actually, your vet is one of them. Yeah. Um, and you brought him into the fold through it, through, you know, great networking and stuff. But it's people who are passionate about it and they're passionate about the research side of it because there's no research on reptiles and amphibians, especially when it comes to like pharmaceuticals. It's, you know, extrapolated out from chicken and rabbit and things like that. We're like, okay, well, it didn't kill the chicken. So let's try it and see what happens. That's not a great way to practice medicine, but that's all we've had for a long time. So ARAV focuses their journal and their um, annual conference on bringing information in and usually novel information. And it's not just Americans. It's also Australians. They have a really nice Australian base. Um, Germany comes to play. We have Sp uh, people from Spain that come to play. Um, we've had, you know, Greek speakers, things like that. So they come from all over the world and bring the knowledge from where they practice and give us different points of view as well. And so that's actually probably one of the cooler things. Awesome. So AREV is actually uh, something that you brought to me when we met. And like I've, I told folks before you came on, I, th I thought it was cool that uh, I saw the company progress and I, I know you and Ryan and, and all these different things. You and I, and then Ryan uh, a little bit later, came together in a different vein of reptiles, which mm -hmm. is also something you are uh, Midwest Tinley reptile famous for in that you founded and then ran Friends of Scales. Yes. So that is one of the uh, reasons I actually got so involved with reptile medicine. Um, the two actually went together. So the care, the wanting to advance husbandry and wanting to learn more about reptile medicine and the anatomy and the physiology and like, okay, so this went wrong in their husbandry. How do we fix it down the road? Does it ever get fixed? And we learned so much about reptile medicine through having friends of scales, reptile rescue. It was, and it actually um, brought in a lot of veterinarians in the Midwest to reptiles because they would come to um, the clinic that I worked at, which was Chicago Exotics. And they would do like internships or externships technically, and they would be exposed to all my reptiles. They'd be like, hey, here, fix it, figure out what happened to it. Cause they said it's perfect and it's not. And so you got to see firsthand the differences that UVB and UVA made in these animals, um, hypervitaminosis A. So when people are over um, supplementing vitamin A or even when they're not supplementing vitamin A, how that actually affects the uptake of vitamin D, which then, you know, causes that whole cascade effect of everything going to hell in the calcium situation. So it was really interesting to see how all these parts played together and then how by improving one part of husbandry, we were able to fix these animals and stabilize them and then adopt them out. So that was actually, um, it's not something that, is like across the nation but for like illinois indiana it was probably one of the bigger things for um, inundating a lot of new veterinary students into reptiles for sure 
So I bring all of that up because they uh, forgot it. <laughs> no. So like before you came on, I, I was telling people like, so I talk about different stuff on this podcast and then when I'm a guest on other podcasts and, and just in general, like um, people know me, like I use Zoopoxy and then Mike Stefani talks about it and we build monitor stuff. Uh, people know that I talk about black box cages because they sponsor the network, but then I'm the guy that like, no, I actually have them. And then like I did videos about them and then I talk about you guys and uh, like all over Teresa and I social media was friends of scales. And then now there's Viv tech stuff and, and all these different things. And from the, my thing from was from the perspective of like, I, I was talking to you and then I put in the show notes, like, you know, Tinley's coming up so I can talk to you guys about that. You always do cool stuff and, and RBC and like, that's kind of our jam because we're from here and mm -hmm. in her pediculture, it's, it's a big deal because it's NARBC, but it's, it's like our local deal. And I have always thought it was cool because the idea being, you know, you go to reptile shows because you can talk to the breeder and see the animal and, and all these interpersonal interactions. And then you guys did VivTech and it, to me, it, it's a little weird because I'm friends with you. So the interaction is a little different, but like <laughs> the idea is the same. Like it, it's not big box store type of thing. It's the same like caliber of product that it's, it's, you know, it's electronics, it's a new thing, it's technology, but I can literally stand here and talk to you in person. And you're not like the VivTech rep. It's in your living room. So it's not like, it's, it's in my dining room technically. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I just like, it was, it was very different to me or i guess i saw it in a very different way um because i am also pointing at children off screen um but like my thing with it is because i've had people ask me uh you know oh you know selling light bulbs and like it's a sales pitch and sitting there and it's like well it's a business like you got to make money but but like it was you you and ryan really neither one of you came from like the business background like people no. people had this weird like weird assumption right like ryan was the zilla dude and you were the rescue lady and mm -hmm. and that that's accurate but like ryan is an engineering nerd who ended up working for a company that makes pet stuff and then you were vet tech rescue like very care knowledge cuddly squishy feelings person keeping animals <laughs> as pets and then like it just it, like how it came about like I, I didn't think folks when people talked to me i could tell whether or not they had like met you guys at a show or that kind of thing or like they saw a facebook debate and or we're going to debating on buying a light bulb or whatever, like business side of things. Um, I don't know. Like it just, it never clicked to me when people were like, well, I mean, you know, like it's like, so you know, competitor, you know, X, Y, and Z buy a pet smart, this thing. And like, you never, nobody knows that guy. Like the, it's the ethereal person who built the aquarium or whatever. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just, it, whenever I was talking to him, I'm like, dude, I'm, 
I'm going to have them on and it's going to be weird because I'm friends with them. But like, that was the, that's like always what I've been trying to convey with the episodes was like, oh yeah, you should just meet somebody who you should meet Mike Stefani and ask him about Merton's monitors. Like he's just some oh dude my God, yes. who keeps lizards. Like you, mm -hmm. to me, you guys are the same way. Like you're talking about UV, you're talking about vitamin A and how it deals with calcium and, and all these different things about animal care that are very high level, you know, very uh, evidence and information driven. But then like, I could just stand at NARBC and talk to you about that. Oh yeah. Okay. And I, I also want to hear your side of it. Cause if you're like, uh, <laughs> dude, I can't use that on my sulcata. It's going to like crush it. I'll be like, I hit it with a blacksmith hammer six times. And you're like, Oh, okay. Like that all like people, I think don't understand that they can still talk to us. Cause we're not the reps We're it's our life. So we want to hear the, no, your product sucks. Okay. Why? Like, Right. So in like in that um, vein, I guess, like how has that gone for you guys through this process of so you release the product and, and I have some 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 different things which are, are pretty cool and but are not necessarily like UV specific light driven. You're, you're going mm -hmm. in different angles, which is fun. Um, but like how, how has that gone for you? Because you guys you really went straight shows like, Hey, this is me standing in person. Check out these light bulbs. I have them right here. Um, it wasn't like a, you know, product rollout at Walmart or something like you, you know, you didn't have like a, a debut and then go to the store. Like it, it's been you guys the, the whole time. So like, how has that gone as far as I, for me, it looks like awesome. It's, you know, very receptive. Is that how it has felt on your end? Like, you know, what, how is that Sorry, going for I'm gonna you? I'm going to throw a shoe at my dogs to stop wrestling. It's all good. <laughs> so, butters, stop being a pain. Um, So, it's been weird. Another so star of your social media are the dogs. Yes, because he's adorable, but right now he's a pain in the ass. Um, it's been weird. It's honestly been really weird because... People for a lot initially, everybody thought Zilla like sponsored us or like gave us the money to make this. Like this was like oh, an option. I was like, okay, no. Like okay. yes, Brian did all their stuff and like all their lighting stuff, and he helped pioneer some of the changes in the lighting industry for Zilla. And now we're taking it a step further and pioneering a different route. But because he was so known for his UV side. Sure. At Zilla, um, like it was a little bit difficult of being like, no, we are very different entities. They will not appreciate it if you say that we're an right. Um, So that's been kind of interesting is trying to let people like help people understand that, no, we we're still putting on the Disney magic that we did with the rescue, you know, the out front, everything looks like we make like multi-millions, you know, because we just like slick looking stuff. And I'm literally in my dining room and you've seen my dining room, Bill. It's not exactly like massive back there. And we're- hey, about, man, we're she says this stuff. Her dining room has some of the coolest <laughs> reptiles you have ever seen in your life. Uh, and they're in her dining room. So don't let her fool you with this nonsense. Uh, it's also packed full of light bulbs, but- uh, and, you know, it, it has a lot of really cool reptiles as well. So, 
and that was that's been a really interesting turn is that people do like when you start selling products people all of a sudden take everything you say with like a massive grain of salt it's not a little grain of salt it is like a massive grain of salt if they hadn't met you before sure. whereas when i was doing like the rescue or the clinic people just assumed you were telling the truth all the time we're like oh okay I'm like i don't understand where like the misconception is because there's a lot more lying probably on like you know the moving animal side of the world even in breeders and stuff like that than there is necessarily i I, you know, I see with that yeah, i get what you're saying there so i don't know it was kind of interesting where um people viewed like the sincerity and how they viewed the sincerity um okay. we've also been uh getting a lot of interesting uh kickback and I'm going to call it out from the reptile lighting group. They do not like us, uh, which is understandable. Like we're new. Um, and there are some bulbs that you can get off like, um, Alibaba and stuff like that, or even on Amazon. Now I actually just bought a whole bunch of them. Oh my God, people shut up. Um, sorry. My thing keeps being, and okay. those bulbs are horrible. Like the ones that you can get off of there, a lot of times are just like, they look like ours because they have the same casing as ours, but mm -hmm. they're not the same as ours. The diodes are different. Um, the drivers that are inside are different. And people just assume that we're taking those bulbs and then just slapping a really nice pretty label on it and kind of like snake oiling them. Right. So, so that's this, been a really interesting problem to have. I have heard the same thing. And I, I, I don't know. All of these conversations are weird because I, I know you guys, um, <laughs> which, but I, I like it because I, I talk about, um, I talk about your stuff and, and I talk about stuff that I use. And so people question me on it, which is cool, but I, maybe not like as hard as they would question you guys, I guess, like, cause I don't, like, I don't work for you or whatever. Um, you can. <laughs> right. Um, so it's, I don't know, I guess it's just a different vibe, I suppose. Um, but what I thought was really interesting with, with that idea of, because I, when, when you and Ryan were first doing stuff and, uh, Ryan was trying to figure all this out and, and you were working like crazy to fund his insane idea. And, and he was talking to me and, and going back and forth. In, in the idea of, so here is my understanding of, of how this uh, kind of works, right? So you guys source your bulbs from wherever mm -hmm. and you have these specifications and you say, hey, um, you know, I really like the case you have for your lights because it looks how I want it to look. And these are the guts that I want in it yeah. to get the results that I want for my product. And then some, whatever place makes manu manufactures it, how you asked, um, it comes to you. You know, this is the thing that you asked for your your brand, your specific uh, construction. Mm -hmm. So it goes in your branded stuff, and then I buy it, and it's in a box that says your stuff, and that's what I get. And I don't. I don't understand like how that doesn't make sense to people. Like, so, so when I, and, and what's really, I don't know, this all goes back to like 
those people in, in Facebook groups or, or wherever I, I've met people in person who asked me about you guys. Um, it's so obvious that they did like, I was like, dude, just go to a show and ask him like, take, take a par meter, buy a par meter from somebody else. Don't mm -hmm. buy, don't buy their UV meter, buy somebody else's and go there and stand with Ryan. He'll take one out of a box. Like he doesn't care. And plug that sucker in with whatever it is you brought and shoot your little laser at it and figure it like it's it's weird to me that the what you, your your initial idea for UV that the products you initially came out with are UV bulbs. What they produce is measurable. Mm -hmm. Like so if if I thought that you were just selling me wish light bulbs, I can, I can measure it. And, and like, I know if your lights suck because mm -hmm. I have a thing that measures whether or not your lights suck. And so I, I understand when herpeticulture debates, whether or not they want to use UV, like that's a longstanding debate. So I use it for this species. I don't use it for that species, whatever. I just did not understand the initial like, well, those lights don't even work. And it's like, that doesn't make sense. Like, because you can, you can turn it on and measure it. And then if it doesn't work, like I can call you or email you or, you know, yeah. go through whatever official process, but like With that your guarantee for God's sake, <laughs> but it, it was just so strange to me. Like, Oh, it's just the stupid light off Alibaba. And it's like, all right, we'll order it. And then, measure it and it that's not true like you can it's like yeah. well that says 80 and that says seven so i don't i just I, I thought that was such a strange thing for people to come at you guys about i i know like ryan is hardcore about you know using appropriate uv and, and so on and so forth which i find funny because when he talks about those things he talks about healthcare things that you're like, well, how do you know? And it's like vet tech handbook. Like, the, like it's that person right there. That's why it's, it's a strange, uh, it's just always been a strange debate. And like, so do you like on that particular one where folks are like, you know, they're, they're knockoff bulbs or whatever. Like, have you seen, have you seen that get, better as more people are using your bulbs and and like because there's bunches of you know youtube videos and, and facebook and stuff like everybody has a par meter chameleon folks are, are really big on it and you know measuring everything is a very specific for certain you know euromastics uh different keepers are, are very particular about it and so they a lot of those people post those things and i've seen you guys's bulbs where people measure them and are like, oh, this is the distance I use and so on and so forth. And so, you know, you're showing these things in practice. So have you seen that part improve now that more people have access to them or? Yes. So there are people, you know, and it's actually a very small number. Um, that Ryan, Ryan, she's a smart lady. You don't have to worry about her looks. Shut up. She already has your last name. <laughs> Um, and these people will stand on that hill and they will die on that hill of LED is, you know, not up to speed, up to snuff, whatever. And that's because 
you again you can buy our casings and stuff and you can even probably buy from our manufacturer the bulb you're going to get though isn't our bulb because ours is made for us to our specs like you said um people have been seeing that though because there's a number of zoos that have us like gladys porter zoo for instance um which is headed by colette adams and if you don't know who colette is good lord you guys got to go and look her up she's absolutely <laughs> and she was actually featured i think on us arcs uh florida international women's day too mm -hmm. and they use our bulbs and they actually put one of the first calls on one of their toads. I don't remember which toad it is. Ryan will chime in at some point and tell you what toad it was. Um, and the head keeper for um, reptiles actually sent him a text message. It was like, toads don't bask. What is this thing doing? And it would, you turn it on and it'd be like, oh, and it comes out and it basks. And then if it's off, he goes, done. And he goes right back, doesn't care. He doesn't come out for any other reason other than bask. It's amazing what um, people are starting to see. And they were a little bit hesitant about it, too. Because, again, it was the, well, you know, we've heard. And there are LED bulbs that suck horribly. We had one. Um, I think we told you about this, Bill. We had one when we were first starting because we were looking for bigger casings. Because people want mm -hmm. bigger bulbs. No problem. We're working on it trying to find and we're looking at a bigger casing so we got a prototype in and it was like on the uv meter so hmm, the uv meter the uvi index meter read it at like this is what it is the uv meter read it as this is what it is and then when we put it under an ocean optics um spectrometer it showed up like huge amounts of uvc yeah, tiny bit of uvb which was enough to trick the meter and to trick the UVI because it's so easily manipulated. Um, the right. One of the big problems is we don't have a good system for broadband uh, radio meters. That's the big thing is we just don't have a good way to do it. Instead of like being off by maybe like five nanometers or like one or two nanometers, it can be off by like 30 nanometers in right. a direction. And then it depends on like if you're calibrating and all these things. So some of that we've we've been concerned that people are putting like animals under like traditional bulbs that are way bad for them. And they have no idea because their radio meter might not be, you know, actually reading at what it's supposed to be. But for the most part, we have seen a good chunk of improvement where people are, you know, if we're getting like picked on a little bit. People will actually come back at him like, no, I have seen this. Um, Stephen Lewis is another um, like blogger, and he even said, he's like, I've seen this on my snakes, and it works. You know, they come out. They want to be involved with it. Um, but a problem is that we're also challenging the status quo, and you know how well that goes, Bill, when you challenge the status quo. And one of it is the Ferguson Zones, are cow pop kind of like they're a great guy to start i will die on the hill that my amazon tree boa is not a zone one animal until the day i die because they come out and bask during the day under their jungle cover so they'll be in like zone two zone three sometimes and they're happy um bearded dragons are higher than zone three easy but that's all that we have to really work with right now. Oh, Ryan's talking about how the Mangshin's bass, the Bushmaster bass, 
I have no idea how to even say that one. Bill, that's on you. Phrynotis aspera. It's the, the giant uh, Asian toads. There, oh, are, that's the toad. <laughs> yeah, those are super cool. Yeah, and so... And I will tell you that I have owned that species, and they bask, and they see QV. Just saying. See? I don't. I don't own Gladys Porter Zoo, but I have had really big toads, and they do CQB. <laughs> They're amazing, and uh, we've had a couple of other ones. Even Josh's frogs carries us. And I'm sorry if Josh's frogs endorsing you, and it's like, hey, we're gonna take a chance on you. Chances are that's pretty good. You know that you're doing something right, and they believe in you. Like Nikki Smith will die speaking UV for us. She absolutely loves our product and tells everybody about it all the time. So I did have a question about that, not not mm -hmm. them specifically, but um, do you notice, or, or have you noticed, I guess, as this has kind of progressed forward, um, so the people, because you guys do so much at shows, um, I feel like, well, and I, I know you do a lot of online stuff too now, but like, I, I feel like that model um, would give you pretty immediate feedback or you know uh a better idea for trends i guess and mm -hmm. so my my question is uh, do you notice or have you noticed more people are um like i keep uh, a species known for uh uv necessity and you know i i'm a chameleon guy or i'm a euromastix guy or i'm an iguana guy and then they seek you out or do you have you noticed a difference where it is folks who are i keep a colubrid and i want to go more full spectrum lighting and so i'm coming to you are, are you seeing a, a mix of those people or, or like more of one crowd as opposed to another crowd have you have you noticed anything like that where it's it's, you know, Euro guys are like, oh, I would like a new UV source. I'm going to try you out. Or it's folks who are because naturalistic and full spectrum lighting is kind of catching steam now. And you guys are obviously on social media, a, a big part of that. Are, are you getting response from that? Like, yeah, I'd, I'd like to try full spectrum lighting and, and, and your company be a part of it. Like, do you, do you see differences there? We... So I can't say yes. Um, I, in my mind, and I didn't even tell this to Ryan, like I had an idea of like what kind of people we were going to get. Like I thought for sure we were going to get a lot of Chelonian keepers. So, cause those okay. guys usually like really on top of it, whether they're a breeder or a personal keeper, usually that's like, that too. just saying, right. They're like the equivalent to like the family dog, or in your case, like the family mastiff. Since you know, I remember when the mountain was with you guys. And um, my giant sulcata is under one of your lights. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> um, so, like, I thought for sure it'd be like a lot of Chelonian keepers and a lot of like okay. the larger monitor keepers. Like monitor keepers would definitely be on it because it's a hardy bulb that can't get pulled out of the socket. It doesn't have the flicker rate that drives them completely batty. Mm -hmm. And it has, you know, again, such a longevity for the UV. So we thought for sure this would be something that we'd see with, the, I thought for sure there'd be something we would see more of. And I can tell you the people that are actually coming to us the most are dart frog keepers. 
um, like right out of the blue, they were one of the first people to adapt to adapt to this technology. They're like, yeah. So I'm convinced that dart frog keeping is like the equivalent to saltwater yeah. keeper. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the next best thing. Let's go. I 100%. heard from this guy. It's great. We're on board. I'm like that. Okay, sure. <laughs> like, sure. Um, yeah. And then ball python keepers. We have a lot of ball python keepers that are purchasing and I'll get emails saying, you know, I have a ball Python in this size enclosure, this size enclosure. What do you recommend? I have a ball Python, you know, group, like, can I daisy chain them together? Well, you can't daisy chain them, but if you get like those, you know, elongated like cords with like little strands that come down, mm -hmm. it's kind of like chaining. you can put all of those across and you can do like a whole grouping of them. So yeah. we've been seeing a lot of those and like one also just keepers. We have some breeders that utilize us, but they have to transfer like everything over from like a sure. different. Yeah. Group. If you're a system person. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a lot of keepers who come to us because they're doing bioactive or yeah. they come to us For because sure. they're, you know, their bearded dragon now lives in a six foot by, and I'm not even kidding. This was an email I got. It's a six foot long enclosure. It's like almost two feet tall. And then it's like two feet deep. And I was like, yes, that is awesome. And she's like, it's got plants and it's got this and it's got that. I'm like, you're so cool. <laughs> like, yes, grab our ball. But those are the people that are coming to us. And then the zoos are coming to us. So it's a little bit interesting. It's not where I thought we would be. I thought for sure it'd be a lot more of like the Chelonians, the large monitors, and it went the opposite way of where I thought. So do you think, because I, I, I see that also. Um, and I, so I was just wondering if you guys saw something different from what I saw. So that's cool and that what, what you saw um, kind of mates up with what I had seen social media hermeticulture mm -hmm. style um do you think that that like do you think maybe that plays out because they are they're led mm -hmm. and they're small and so do you think that the people like because if you're a big lizard tortoise iguana person you are so used to huge flood bulbs huge hugeness and big things and they smash stuff and and it's more of a like a perception thing you, you know whereas if you ice queen situation yeah <laughs> but like to, to me when i saw initially saw dart frog people go go for you guys it's like well yeah small leds you know heat sensitive things like it's, it's very system, or to me, it seemed very system friendly. Um, mm -hmm. I put you guys' stuff in Arcadia bulb holders, all, and I can just screw them in wherever I want. And, and they're little. They don't mess with the heat. I, I can just bang them out all over the place. Um, the flip for me is uh, I do the same thing, but also over giant stuff. So, like, over a rhinoceros iguana, I actually have them in domes over the the green iguana but um but i i just stuck it right in with the giant enclosures the same as i did with the small uh i obviously a, a more powerful bulb but um 
yeah, that's I, I saw the same kind of trends. And it, and I do have I wonder if that's what like they're just so used to. Well, you got to have a 300 watt flamethrower. Otherwise, you know, monitors don't like it or, or whatever nonsense you're talking about. If you can't make an egg underneath it. It's not a bulb for you. Right. Um, Whereas you got you got lunatics like me where I'm like, what if I did a DP projector in a tiny LED UV and I can keep a four foot green iguana in a seven foot long, six foot tall, four foot deep enclosure where there's a red foot on the bottom also? I mean, maybe they were eating salad this morning together. I don't know. It's possible. But, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's interesting that and it's something that I have come up on um, several times is you know, exposure ratio. And I think part of that is because we've had like the mercury vapor bulbs, which is like the all in one, you know, forever. Yeah. and they're like, you have to have it so that it covers like X percentage of your animal in mm -hmm. order to work. Part of that is because like, they don't want you to burn a hole through like one tiny spot of your animal. So right. not folks, that's why. Um, but also when you're talking thermal regulation, you need as much surface area exposed as possible to heat up, to cool down, things like that. So that is, it's a complete surface area game when you're talking about thermal regulation. When you're looking at UV regulation, you don't need that. You just need to like dip your toe out and you get all of that in there because it's a photobiology and a photochemistry thing going on. So the moment that UV penetrates through your skin, you're getting chain reactions that even though it's starting here, it starts here too. And it's over here and it's in your, you know, kidneys and stuff. Like it moves through your body because it hits into your serum and it just goes. And it's one of the coolest things. It's one of the most misunderstood things too, because everybody just assumes you need a large amount, but you don't, you just need to have, that's why cryptic basking works so well. You can't tell me my tiny little toe gecko who exposes maybe a quarter inch of its back to the bulb. And I know it is doing this because it's the only spot on the wall that's like, you know, open from like the cork and it'll just like stick out there like, all right, all right. And then it takes off or snakes who will just like flop its tail. echoes with the highly reflective white tail and the super dark black spots that they just stick out. <laughs> that might be a thing. You, you know. know the fact that they live on sandy areas, such as the picture behind us, although that's not a leopard gecko, but is that a color lizard? Like, what is it supposed to be? I can't tell. Uh, um, I'm not sure which one's behind it currently. Oh, okay. Um, but like those, Boogie, they can't see you. But those ones, they might hide during the day, but they're still getting um, refraction. So it comes down, the sun comes down with the UV, hits the ground and then it refracts that's actually like a huge part of like you know physics to be honest is light comes down and it like it goes down and then it moves around so this i think this might be this is a weird thing and yes and and i know i've had this discussion with bunches of people and <laughs> and i've had bunches of people really struggle to understand it and I didn't understand it until recently. So <laughs> well, here's my thing. I think it is a, it's a little bit of a misunderstanding and a little bit of a byproduct of potentially where or how you grew up. So I grew up uh, fishing and doing a lot of water stuff with, with my parents. 
And then I grew up doing a lot of snow activities with my family as well. And I am very fair skinned and I have absolutely worn like a boonie cap or a head cover and still sunburnt the underside of my face. And I, and my parents told me, you got to put sunscreen on your face. It will bounce off the water and it will sunburn your face. It'll bounce off the snow and it'll sunburn your face. Mm-hmm. And I just, I grew up knowing that like if, if I wear sunglasses, I got to put sunscreen on my cheeks or whatever, because it literally reflects off the water or reflects off whatever, and it will sunburn you. Yep. And so when you guys initially started talking and then, and even before that, talking to Ryan and you and, and everybody, when we were keeping stuff for the rescue and, and we keep all the big critters and all the ridiculous stuff and, and how to, to play that out. To me, that just made sense because it's like, oh well, yeah, if I can catch a sunburn off it, that's what's doing that, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, I knew that those wavelengths and those things were able to reflect and, and to, it wasn't a straight travel directly from the fireball. You, you know, there were different ways to accomplish this. And when you guys initially started talking about it a lot more, because early on when you guys were doing a lot of posting um a lot of your posts were about cryptic basking and there were some really cool pictures and stuff you guys had taken with some of your animals and you, you saw a lot of really neat stuff and and you could see people in the comments and stuff that didn't quite get how it was working and and i i really think that's a part of it man it's just like sometimes people probably struggle to equate their experiences to what ha- is happening to their animals um, but I think a lot of those people are using like their pets might be their exposure to like the wild or whatever. And so like, maybe oh, like, yeah. maybe they just never got sunburnt standing on a lake one day. Like they, they, they might genuinely not, you know, get it as far as what you guys are talking about with availability of UV in the environment that you're creating in, in this little diorama. You know what I mean? That makes sense because I was just thinking as you were saying, you know, this might be their like foray into the wild. I was thinking about Ryan when he uh, did a, you know, it was I think in Madison and he went and did a presentation for kids in Madison and it's Wisconsin. So you just assume like everybody hunts like that was my assumption. I lumped y'all together. I'm sorry. I just assumed like everybody goes out and hunts. Everybody is, you know, active because it's Wisconsin. And there was, there were kids that had never seen a frog before. And so that really does kind of, that makes a lot of sense. And we are, that's something that I'm still working on and struggling with is how to simplify um, this down for people who don't have the exposure to, you know, the dreaded raccoon eyes where you have like the sunburn everywhere else, <laughs> except for the sunglasses or the farmer's tan, you know, while you're driving and stuff like that. So that's actually a really good point. It's hunting beer and cheese. See, Jessica, thank you. It's not Accurate. just me. That- <laughs> I mean, my favorite place in the whole state is the Cheese Castle, so I can't really, I can't debate that. I think they changed the mouse, though. Well, that's ridiculous. Yeah, someone told me that it looks like the Chuck E. Cheese uh, mouse now. Oh, that's not cool. Don't do that. Right? And it's like <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, kind of on that, that same thought process, uh with with the big stuff because that's 
obviously my exposure to a lot of things. Um, what I am am looking at and trending toward in in my keeping, and, I, and I'm wondering if you don't uh, get uh, quite. I assume you get quite a bit of feedback in, in this vein. Um, is I I've moved to a lot of DP projectors uh, for how I'm heating animals, especially for large things. But I have also moved to uh, doing heat and UV in different areas. I'm, I'm a little weird because I have a lot of giant enclosures with a lot of giant things. And so um, even for small things, I have a lot of giant enclosures. <laughs> but um, what I am attempting to do is have those two things be in different areas so that I can know... Uh, basically know what I'm messing up and what I need to alter. So I yeah. know what my animals are looking for. Um, just, just given with like the idea of you guys' bulbs being led small space, uh, you know, not too blank. We're not covering the whole enclosure. Uh, are you, are you seeing a little bit more of that? Cause like, especially with the dart frog folks, like they're not really going for heat anyway. So having a designated area where they have UV kind of makes sense for them because then, you know, you can see the frogs seek it out. You can see the behaviors. Mm -hmm. You can can actually notice these things. And those keepers kind of do fall into your saltwater analogy in that they usually are a little more attentive. You know, the Mm -hmm. whole idea for them is to just kind of watch the art on the wall kind of thing, see behaviors, see these things. And so are you... Are you noticing that, or or have you had folks tell you that, or that they're going for, this is my UV area. I see the animal utilize the UV area. This is my heat area. Like the separation of actual UV basking. Because you guys post that quite a bit. Are you seeing feedback that other folks are getting that as well? We are. So initially we weren't um, because, again, before it was always like, um, and I, this is no shade on Zoomed. I actually love their duo domes, um, but they have they always had the dual domes because it was a fluorescent and it was like a halogen or whatever you wanted to put next to it. And fluorescents can be next to heat; it doesn't do anything to them. Like it's completely fine for them. LEDs can't be next to a heat source. Heat and LEDs don't like each other. That's why LEDs aren't hot um, because it's bad for the drivers in the chips. So. Initially, it was um, helping people learn how to utilize them properly and then say, you know, like keep it like five inches away, five or six inches away. Or if you want, just put on like the cool side and then just have the heat on the other side and let us know what you think. Is it just going for heat or is it actually going for the UV now too? And because, hello, Adler, uh, because we started telling people that in the beginning, all of a sudden that's like how people just assume that you should do UV in some cases. And I'm like, sure, that's fine. (laughs) Like, so now they're doing it to see for themselves. So it's, it's a really unique thing. Cause I didn't think that this was going to happen, but it's like this own little like social approval kind of situation where um, like how we look at reviews and then we kind of determine if we want to buy something based on the reviews and then, if you're like, yeah. no, that guy's a schmuck, don't buy from him. I'm like, oh, okay, like that's fine. People are doing the social proof, but on their animals, and they're starting to put like a heat area 
a UV area and then maybe like an LED strip for lighting or, you know, something like that just for extra ambience. And they are seeing that there is a definitive difference between seeking out heat and seeking out UV. Right. Um, so that we have been seeing that a lot more. And it's also really interesting that we're already starting to see a change in how people are setting their standards. It's not one area where your animal has to cook or get UV. It can now choose to, you know, cook itself and be a happy little warm animal. And then it can move over and get the UV that it needs because it's not going to need the UV exposure as long. Right. So right, <laughs> we do have one question I saw. Let me go back to that. Was what bulbs would you recommend for carpet pythons or dwarf monitors? Ooh. Also, when do you think they'll have the bulbs in stock? Yeah, we get that. Um, so they will be in stock at Tinley. I promise they will be there. Um, that being said, now something horrible is going to happen. So I'm going to knock on wood. Um, but we have our actual manufacturer. We told them, so this is something I'm not supposed, no, supposed to share it. But we are talking to our manufacturer and we're like, hey, we have our big event coming up. Like the Tinleys are two of our biggest events, you know. Sure. And yeah. we sure. told them that we're going out there and people want them and need them. And we don't have anything for these folks. And he's actually sending them fast, like as fast as they can get here. So it's going like on a plane and getting here really super quick um, because they want us to actually have them because they have actually seen they our manufacturers do follow and they see like little tidbits, you know, come up for like VivTech and things like that. So sure. see you guys, they hear our conversations. And they also were very supportive. So they're making sure that we have our bulbs for Tinley. Um, but back to the actual question. So carpet pythons and dwarf monitors, it completely depends on how tall your enclosure is. Um, because if you're going by the UVI, which there someday will be a better option than UVI, um, you have to kind of determine what you're going for. So if you have like a two foot enclosure, like a two foot tall enclosure, Absolutely, you can do like a midday blaze um, for all those, depending on where your branches are and things like that. It all depends on where your basking site is in comparison to the bulb. Um, we didn't do the whole one size fits all of like, this is only for desert animals. This is only for tropical animals. This is only for, you know, nocturnal animals. Sorry, I couldn't think of the word crepuscular. That's the word. Um, crepuscular animals. We actually just we use those names, like first call to insinuate that this would be good for frogs, but also so that people would look at the back of the box and go, oh, like it's going to be zone one, you know, for the majority of it, unless it's like really up close. So maybe for my two and a half foot tall, you know, giant vivarium for my dumpy white street frog, I'm going to use a jungle cover. So it honestly depends on the height. But if you let me know the height, I can tell you. So I, I actually, I, I did wonder that from, from what you were just talking about with, um, and actually the comment that just came in uh, about folks observing animals and, and how people keep, do you notice, or I should say, I have noticed, and I'm wondering if you guys notice it as well. Um, I don't really know how to verbalize that, I guess. The using your stuff and mm -hmm. and how you know you you didn't say uh 
use this bulb for this animal and and, it, and it's kind of on you a little bit like you need to know what you kind of need to know what you're doing you need to know what you're looking for you need to be able to reason through it and you're you're building an enclosure like it's a little bit more involved um i guess to use this type of product mm -hmm. which it didn't occur to me because i know this stuff right and so yeah. like like i was telling teresa when, when you guys first were talking about this and i was messaging with brian and you know you're showing me stuff and i was talking to you guys and i immediately was like dp projectors and these uv bulbs i can keep anything in the world it's it's gonna change i like freaked out and, and i was like because dude like i keep giant stuff and and i keep a lot of stuff that needs uv and i live in the midwest so when i heat stuff it dries out and like all these crappy things that are so hard for me to accommodate when i'm keeping these animals you spray on this fixes dude this fixes so like if i use a dp projector and i use this thing and then I, I i dig full spectrum lighting and plants and stuff anyway so I, I already was doing that kind of stuff like it fixed so many of my problems and mm -hmm. it was it let me do a lot of really crazy stuff that i'm still progressing through um i just wonder like are not enough people nerdy enough to get this or like to like i i don't understand how as soon as you guys made this everybody wasn't like we're done let's go we we figured it out like onward well, what happened when uvb bulbs were first created just straight up uv bulbs were created they weren't well accepted at first Zubed literally came out, created, and if anybody doesn't know this, Zubed actually created the first UVB bulbs, like ever. Before that, we were just like, why does our stuff keep dying? I don't know why it keeps dying. Well, it's fine. And then Zubed came out and created the first Zoo, like UV bulbs, and everybody went, oh, they don't need it. It's fine. Like they still had to fight that, that this was snake oil and it was BS. So I think part of it is new technology. I think part of it is um, reptile keepers, like the American public, to be completely honest, is pretty normal. But just slow. Sometimes they're just slow to, you know, make changes because there are the people. Um, so there's three types. There's folks who will buy something that's brand new at a premium because they want to be part of the new thing that just came out or they truly believe in it. They understand it like you are one of those. Then there's the secondary group of folks which are happy to come up to utilize new technology and new products or new services, but they want to see the social proof. They want to make sure that like your animals didn't die and then they'll use it on theirs or, okay. you know, yeah. other bugs and then come out with like maybe version 1.2. Then they'll jump on that train. And then there's the third set of people who won't utilize a new technology until it is basically forced upon them. Most Americans and most consumers just in general fall between A and B. And then there's the C group, which is like the, I miss my flip phone. Like right. if you've had that conversation, you might be closer to C than you think right. because you know, the flip phone didn't break. It didn't do this. They knew their flip phone like inside and out. They knew the capabilities of it. And then when you switch them over to like an iPhone, they're like, holy cow, 
there's a lot of things this thing can do. Right. So, you know, I think that's a, I think that's a part of it. I don't think it's willful ignorance. I think it's just, if you looked at other purchasing they did, that's probably similar to what, you know, they've done with other electronics and things like that. Sure. I just, man, I, I don't know. I, when I, well, like when I hear you say something like that, like if, well, if you could tell me the height of the enclosure, I could tell you the bulb. And it's like, ag agreed. You could go to VivTech and, and read which bulbs they are. And then you could read a book about carpet pythons. Just build it. Like, I don't know. I just, man, I, I do wonder though. On their time nerding out or has yes. access to all the books that we do. Like you have agreed. a I have a huge nerdy library. Like my photobiology books are one of my favorite things to read. And Ryan's like, I will fall asleep reading it. Like, sure. like just give me the cliff notes. We're cool with that. I, but, but I, I do wonder if like some of the, the pushback you guys see on social media is a little bit of that. Like it's, you know, like the Dunning-Kruger effect. Like when you, mm -hmm. when you, you, you know so little that you can't understand how, much you don't know you know what or I mean? you know just enough to become dangerous yes right that's know just enough to cause a problem <laughs> right and I, I i do wonder that because the people that have talked to me that are that were either negative about your stuff or mm -hmm. negative about uv in general or or all these different things um if if they actually message me or text me or whatever and, and have a conversation almost universally at the end of the conversation is oh oh okay like they like they get it you know i've i cannot think of someone who has talked to me about this stuff and at the end been like you're dumb and i'm not doing that like <laughs> I, i've i've not you know i have talked to people that were like I, I need to phase it in or, you know, like they couldn't buy 50 bulbs or whatever, and you know, like normal, yeah. normal stuff, you know. Um, I, but I've not run across people that are just like, no, you, you know what I mean? You yep, see, you see that on social media where in, in the echo chamber group, nonsense, you get the, the crazy nose. But then when you talk to those people individually and, and are like explaining, you know, what it is you're doing and so on and so forth, like I've never not had someone have the light bulb moment. You, you know what I mean? Light bulb moment. Right. Pun uh, <laughs> intended. But um, I don't know. I just like, do you do you notice that? I mean, uh, it shows, I, I would think, like, do you guys spend a lot of time explaining you know, if it's an arboreal enclosure and, and like literally just going through the mechanics of setting up a vivarium and, and that kind of thing, as opposed to yep. like pitching UV bulbs, like instead you're more like coaching animal care, I guess. Originally, I was originally I personally struggled with my role in the company because I was like, I don't want to just like you said, pitch things nonstop. And, you know, Ryan and I talked about like, how's the best way to approach things and talk to people? Cause we didn't want to be like staunchy and be like, 
here, this is the whole thing. Like, yeah, we might have like the opening spiel that we tell you because it answers like 80% of your questions right off the bat. And like that helps. Um, but you're right. Most of it is actually just coaching people through animal care and completely nerding out about like the things they're keeping. We have one person who's like, I have like a four foot tall enclosure for my green adults. I'm like, you are the coolest person ever. And you know how they can mount these in the enclosure and things like that, because it's not going to burn them. It's not going to destroy them. My Amazon tree boas, for goodness sake, curl up on them. You know, when they want to perch, that's closer to the Mr. Nozzle because they like to drink out of the Misty Nozzle. Ooh, so and that goes back to there was a question in the live chat about uh, a cover for the light. Oh, no, you do not need a cover for the lights um, because and to be completely honest. So I don't know if this is something that's common knowledge either. Um, it's out there, but I don't know how common it is is anytime uv is going through any light really is going through um like wire mesh chicken wire anything like that it is filtering out some of your uv so it takes down like in some cases it can go down to like 30 percent or not down 30 percent, but it takes it down like 30 percent. so you have to increase the strength of your bulb or you can just mount it internally if you're mounting it internally you don't have to worry about it these are not easily to pull out so they're not um what are they called? G9s where with the two prongs. Yep. So they're not like that. Um, they're not where the animals can just like flip it out like our spinulosis used to do. Um, these are E2627 screw in. So you just go into any kind of socket and turn it on. They are metal casing. They are tough as nails. Again, I hit it with a blacksmith hammer six times. And the only thing I did was dent the connector. And I finally shattered the glass, but it wasn't even a shatter. It was like a crack it wasn't even like satisfying which irritated the tar out of me um i wanted like the big poof moment and it was like like oh okay but i'll put that video up at some point for you guys um i have to edit out all my cussing um but these ones they can be misted they can be hung on by the animals and as long as your mount that you put in there is sturdy they're not going to go anywhere and they're not going to affect it at all so that is one of those, that's one of the cool things about our bulb is that you don't have to worry about them burning themselves. Like you don't have to worry about your animal like culling up against it and then burning themselves. Um, but we are- I have a brittle python that just hangs off of it, so. Yep, and because they, and you'll notice irritating. like, they'll keep their body like almost all out of it. And then every now and then like a roll of like coils comes over or like the tail- So mine up. is- um on the you guys who are listening can't see my hands they're literally above my head uh, that makes no sense in an audio format um it's the uh socket that the bulb is going into and the thing is just all over it and yeah and then occasionally it'll like swing down uh underneath of it but yeah you can absolutely tell that it's the the body of the animal is outside of the beam itself and it's just you know trying to hold on to the little ridges and stuff around the edge yeah it's it's really interesting. And when we talk to people at shows, we are talking about care and husbandry and, you know, the importance of UVA. That's actually one of our big driving things is the importance of UVA. And I'm going to call it out. I'm going to put it into the universe. Yes, there is one study, one, on LED lights. And it wasn't our bulb. It was the other bulb. And I can guarantee you, if you know who I'm talking about, you know it was their bulb. But it wasn't even their bulb. It was a prototype of that bulb and the study was published and it posed the question of 
the miss there's a tiny little amount that's like missing in the wavelengths and stuff but is that wavelength important and imperative for the shutoff valve for d3 you know going into calcium that is a high, like a question that was called out for more research because they can't answer all the questions and the point of a paper especially a research paper and i'm getting on my high horse bill is you take a question that you have, you take a hypothesis that you have, and then you go, cool, I'm going to do what my like fifth grade self loved to do in school, and I'm going to actually physically do it. And then they do a study. Sometimes they're good studies, sometimes they're not so great studies. It depends on who's doing the study, but they do the actual physical study. And then at the end, the next part of it is they talk about you know the data analysis. And then the part after that talks about is the discussion. And that's where they go over what their findings were and then what's statistically significant, what's not statistically significant, and then what problems may have been there and then what their theory on those problems are because it's calling more people to research. And that's what those papers are for. It's to open a doorway. It's not a like shut book where, you know, one study and like that's it. It's calling for more studies. It's calling to build off that information. And part of that was they want to build and call people out um, to do more research on what each of these like sections actually do. And do they mean something? Do they not mean anything? So we're always learning. And that's part of um, what you're going to read in those papers. So I just wanted to address that because I'm pretty sure that question is going to come up at some point that no, it wasn't on our bulbs. Um, it was on a different bulb. And it's only hypothesized that hypervitaminosis D can occur with a ball, but to date, there has not been any hypervitaminosis D caused by a UV bulb. So I'll be impressed if that happens at some point. Um, adding the into the diet, you absolutely can, you know, screw up that balance. But from a bulb so far, there hasn't actually been any um, published studies on it or findings on it. So that's something to kind of take into consideration too. So sorry, I had to put that tangent in there before I forgot it. <laughs> then it got asked nope. and I completely forgot my point. No, I, I'm glad you did. So we we do have questions in the chat and I will get to you guys, I promise. But um on that sure. particular that particular note, um for people who are more interested in uh, the ideas between lighting and UV levels and and vitamins and and dosing and all these other things. Um, I follow the Chameleon Academy podcast. I'm a huge nerd for everything that he does. And if you go look in his catalog of episodes, he, he has dosing episodes and vitamin episodes and, and all sorts of different things. And anyone who has an interest in UV and the uses of the bulbs and lights and their relation to vitamin A specifically and, and how that is either dosed in food or, or what have you. And then just UV use in general. Um, the chameleon side of herpeticulture is a million years ahead of most of us. Uh, they're so hardcore into it. And then not even dark directly in relation. Yeah. yeah <laughs> dark frogs, as far as like overall setup of how to keep the, small environment you made alive mm -hmm. and then chameleons as far as specific measurements for your equipment and uses of food and vitamins to keep this weird creature living 
um, those two parts of her pediculture are just so far ahead of everyone else that if if that is some kind of weird nerdy interest to you i would go that way first oh yeah and see because my thing is and, and i love listening to them because uh chameleon academy specifically it, the bill strand is the man's name uh bill he talks about the results that he gets for his measurements if you go back and you want to just copy like the enclosure he made he'll tell you like it's this lighted you know sizes and whatever yeah but what he what he talks about is i got x result and and this is how many eggs or you know bad shells or this girl did well or what have you and so that lets you and this is kind of the point we were talking about earlier of you kind of got to be advanced enough to know kind of what you need to do here um yep. if you are looking to just replicate a result then you could use something like a vivtech bulb or, or placement or height and all these things and you're just looking for the measurements that he's talking about yep as opposed to if you're going to get really specific of like i use midday blazes at 18 inches for 40 inch enclosures and like then you're getting in the system of achieving these results as opposed to what like what vitamin a levels you're looking for um, exactly. and that's a lot of like high level nerdery and so if, if you go that route and you know a lot of the dart frog folks amphibicast uh that particular podcast talks about a lot of that um that you can get really into the nitty-gritty of setting up these different things um chameleon academy has uh, experimental enclosures talks to folks that set up four and five different brands and sizes and all these things uh, and you can see other people do that in real time so mm -hmm. I, I definitely would encourage folks to go that way if you want to learn more about what erica is talking about with people in her pediculture who are doing it for creatures like chameleons that if they don't have the uv they're going to crash and you know it so and so What's really cool about um, chameleons, now that you brought it up, is chameleons are, and you know this because you have Mellers chameleons. Um, they are, right? Those Mellers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember this. Um, <laughs> but they are some of the weirdest creatures that you can keep because they're not like other lizards. Yeah. Like they looked at lizards and went, mm, no. We're going to do this instead. So they're super picky on their, you know, humidity and on their vitamins that they need. But like even on the amount of like fat versus protein that they need, like it's a whole cluster. But their UV needs are also super different because they don't have a super well-developed parietal eye um, or the little, the third eye that a lot of uh, lizards have like a uh, collared lizard or a bearded dragon where you're like, oh, like that hole right there, that is a parietal eye. That's letting them find, you know, their UV basking and all that good stuff. They don't have a very well-developed one. It's actually rudimentary. So they rely on other ways, um, like their eyes proper actually can see UV. So they rely on that a little bit more. So you have to figure out, you know, how can you support their UV uh, needs in a way that they can actually find it, which is where the UVA comes in. Um, but there was a study actually that was... It was relatively recent, actually. Um, no, it was in the aughts, the 2000 aughts. So no, you're not. Um, 
but it was talking about how you know there were some panther chameleons that when exposed to high doses of uva and for like a prolonged period of time but high doses they didn't do so well okay that's understandable a lot of people won't do well if exposed to super high doses of uva i turn into a freaking tomato i don't tan i just turn into a tomato but conversely they also had that happen with high doses of uvb so chameleons are one of those weird species that don't regulate their uv requirements as like intrinsically as some of the other ones like as a bearded dragon bearded dragon will move itself and it doesn't give a darn it just does whatever it wants but like chameleons are more sensitive and they rely on the shade and things like that. So they're kind of like haphazardly, they're a little bit more haphazard on their UV seeking. Sorry, it was a, that was one of the coolest things I learned. Um, mm-hmm. But people do quote that paper all the time of, you know, well, UVA will kill my chameleons. No, it won't. Actually, your chameleon needs UVA because if you've done any kind of like YouTube dives or even Facebook dives, you'll see, you know, people with like the hot green that goes across or panther chameleons because they shined like a 365 nanometer um, black light on them and like they just fluoresce. Yep. We don't see that. They do. And they see with their eyes proper. So they're looking like, it'd be like me looking at Bill and then all of a sudden he's got like avatar going on over here. That's the exact same thing. We just can't appreciate it. So they do need UVA. It's just they don't need the super high experimental doses. So. Yeah, and and like I said, the the actual setups and, and the process of, of doing that, I strongly encourage folks to check that out. Um, and it, again, I I think it's kind of funny, like the to hear folks who are uncertain about you know LED or uncertain about the things that you're talking about because. If you go to there, you can watch it in practice and it works. And it's like, it's, you know, it's the, the whole idea of like proof or, or seeing it or whatever. And it's like, dude, just click so on we it got, right there. <laughs> we bought a, um, we, I may have a dopamining a little bit on Amazon. It's fine. It's a thing. Uh, but I bought a 365 nanometer um, blacklight. So there's a 365 and there's a 390 that you can get the 390 is what a lot of people end up with because that's usually what they look like for like fungal or horrible things that happen in hotel rooms. Like they'll get like 390 for that. Um, but it's too close to the visible light spectrum to really appreciate what's going on. 365 is like you're in the UV, you know, you're in UVA, like you're in it. Um, and so you can look at, you know, what's around you. And I would never take that to a hotel room. You couldn't pay me to take that to a hotel room. <laughs> Um, but we did buy that. Painting. Oh, but we did buy <laughs> we did buy it so that I could we could show it at events and show people yeah. like this is what your animal looks like. This is how it sees its, you know, conspecific or its friends. Like this is how it sees its friends, or this is how it sees its prey. Even some snakes, like some of our colubrids in North America, we have lame snakes when it comes to UV, like patterns like showing up. They don't really show up very much. But if you shine it by their spectacles, it actually hazes out like your sunglasses do. So they actually have spectacles that, you know, filter out some of that extra UV so that they can take it in, but it also can help filter it out. So it's really interesting. And again, that's another way we're trying to show people what they can't 
see and what they can't appreciate. But doing it like on a film doesn't get that information across because then it's like, oh, you photoshopped it. Oh, you did this. Oh, you did that. But right. like you said, if you just come to an event and say, shine my black light on it, sure. <laughs> like, right. We'll absolutely do that so that you can see what they see because we can't appreciate it unless you were born with like a vaccine or something like that. And then you can't see UV, but you just can't see anything else really. I don't know. I just, with the whole event thing, like, I I don't know, I guess. I just kind of feel like, or I assume, like, your experiences, and Ryan's to some extent with, with Madison Herp and, and Zilla and stuff, um, but, like, your experiences when, when we all were together doing events for the rescue, it, to me, plays really heavily into how you interact with uh, Viv Tech at things like NARBC because mm -hmm. the from what I saw and what I experienced was with what you were doing in in the the rescue avenue and, and things like that was it had to be in person you had to, you were talking to people and like it it was way more of an experience thing and and this is what it feels like and looks like and and helping you with your new pet and so on and so forth and your angle on that was definitely very um if you're going to get a health check and and we're going to you know checking for mites and we're doing all these things and, and you're talking to people about caring for their pet um it was very interpersonal interactions and, and hand, like they're holding it and you're explaining you know going through all these things and then you move into a product like this and it it is very similar to where it's like, yeah, I went and bought this UV and I'll just blast you with it. Like, you know, like it's, it, it is very experiential, um, which probably kind of sucks for you guys trying to sell stuff online or, you know, the way things are going now with, you know, websites and, and Facebook and all that crap. But like, and I keep kicking back to things like NARBC because that's, that's our jam. But like the, the whole idea of dude, go there and and blast this thing check this light you know plug these in play with this stuff and it it is it's a whole different game to be able to walk up to the table and be like oh well what about your stupid black light thing this that and the other and, and it's like no like the lady you're probably talking to is the face on the the thing right there like it's that lady <laughs> you know what i mean like or like this dude that she's married to like it's the guy like it's mm -hmm. not it's not like the blacklight kid we hired to go to NARBC. Like it's it's her blacklight from Amazon at her house. Your like, job is to hold the blacklight. That's it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, or or like the people that are hanging out at your table is like Alex and Ann, like the other mm -hmm. people I know. Like we they're it's like our people, you know what I mean? Um I don't know. I I that's I know, that's very different for me. We um, did, we tried to bring the experience. That was something that was a that was a me thing. And I wanted, I didn't want it to be the same experience that you had when you visited like the Zillow booth or the Zoomed booth or the Axoterra booth, where it's somebody who came and they know there's, you know, the products and stuff like that. I did. I wanted it to be more of an immersive situation. So you are welcomed into our booth space and we encourage you to loiter, like look at stuff poke things, ask to see it. We'll take anything out of the package. We don't care. We want you to handle it. Ryan will take a light bulb out of the package, and this drives me nuts, and beat it across the table. 
whenever you ask him to, to show you like, look, the diodes stay on and look, it didn't even make a dent in it. We're happy to do those things so that you can even just like hold it and touch it. Cause like holding the light bulb is different than just looking at it because it's heavier than you think it is, yeah. you know? And so that lends the, like your monitor's not going to rip it out and like chomp on it. Like your crack tegu or your crack monitor can come at it and it's not going to do much. Like it's well, just not I've always thought that was funny too. <laughs> and again, the people are going to listen to this episode and it's weird because I, you guys are my friends, but like when this first started and Ryan was like, Hey, you think you could break this? Like, <laughs> you know, or, or like, you know, we would be look. you got, he had a, a million different ideas and, and mm-hmm. asked me, you know, about different stuff and, and, and other folks through, through Zilla or through Madison Herp that kept different things or small stuff, or they kept geckos and I kept monitors or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and stuff that you guys had your own extensive collection so that, you know, testing it out on that or checking this out or, you know, who had different stuff from you to, to start messing with things. And, and literally most of the stuff he talked to me about was like, do you think that this lizard could break this thing <laughs> or whatever? Um, and so like, I just beat it up. <laughs> yeah. From like the start of this, I, I've always thought that part was funny because it was like, yeah, we just sprayed it with water for six hours to see what would happen. And then I hit it with a hammer or whatever. Like it was, it, it was R and D and it was testing, but like, I, (laughs) but I, but like I knew the people. And so it was like, so would you just like, you know, you, you're people think R and D like it's a laboratory and a dude in a white coat. And it's like, no, it was Erica with a hammer. Like it was (laughs) It's on my front stoop. Yeah. Hold on, my herp stat is beeping. It's going to not stop, so. Okay, yeah. Uh, yes, Ryan uh, is definitely the idea guy. I I actually, so I thought that was kind of funny, and I, I was talking to Teresa and some other folks uh, about this particular episode. Uh, Ryan is at a family event, so it was originally Ryan and Erica together. He has a family event, so it was just Erica. Um and I, I thought it was kind of funny because I knew the episode and the conversation would be a little different because I'm talking to one of my friends. Um, but it, you guys kind of, it's going to be hard for a lot of you folks because you don't know me from NARBC, Friends of Scales, and the things that you would know me and Erica from, like interpersonally, you know Erica from VivTech or me from the network and, and different stuff that is not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, Midwestern based. And so had, if those of you who do know that or have been around, or if you ever uh, end up in this particular uh, avenue, this episode would take forever and would have gone off the rails if it was me and Ryan talking, because we are idea nerds. And that's, that's how that goes. Uh, Erica is writing them down as we go. Yeah. Erica (laughs) is the person who like takes notes and reins things in. And then once this crazy idea happens, she is a creative person and has artwork and and different plans and and all these different things and how it works and how it plays out is actually super cool. And so I was, it was kind of a cool thing that like, it would be this conversation because it's like, I have my idea nerd friend and then he married this lady who is a different nerd and and how that works out which is pretty cool. i'm the deeper dive nerd uh yeah yeah 
you're the emotional squishy stuff and he's just like no i just want to make that and then i'm going to give it to bill and he's going to try and break that i'm like okay but can we find out like yeah he's math and your emotions yeah yeah very much uh so we had questions uh one of which was books that you would recommend on this particular subject or in this idea so surprisingly and brace yourselves folks there's not a lot of books on uva um there is actually one book that's really just called uva it's from like the 80s or something like that but it so it doesn't cover animals it just covers you know basically everything you need to know about uva but it was meant for um dermatologists so like the latter half like the end of the book is more focused on you know what can happen like cancers things like that you know what kinds of things you need to worry about um so it's an interesting book and i can actually i can send you a list of them too bill if you want to put in like show notes or anything like that um believe it or not oh is it up here it is so y'all are gonna see my sweatpants and i don't care i looked all nice on top and i wore sweatpants on the bottom but anybody who knows me knows that that's a thing um, it's like being on the book, news it's okay it really is Woo, this way um the secret lives of the secret social lives of reptiles actually mm-hmm. is another great one so it's not focused on uv but it's focused on how they perceive each other how they interact with each other reptiles do play another hill i will freaking die on um but it has a huge section on that and how uv is actually imperative for those kind of social developments and allowing them to see each other and interact with each other like pheromone trails for garter snakes everybody thought for the longest time that they had to use their jacobson's organ so the little uh organ the foronasal organ that's on the top of their mouth and that's where their tongue goes um and it puts the sense in there and they can figure out oh i'm following like a raccoon instead they found that it's not only the jacobson organ that does it but also they can see with their own eyes um again with their eyes proper not a secondary organ their uva um trails too so the chemicals in it are um they're I, they like fluoresce, I guess is the best way to put it, kind mm-hmm. of. Um, yeah. Very similar to like an ant trail. And so they are able to actually follow that to follow a female, a receptive female. And that's how you end up with like a lot of the mating balls is because that's a whole bunch of males who are like, we follow the same trail. How are you guys doing? And then they know not to breed with each other. They're focusing on the female. That's how they know which one's the female because looking at each other, they don't know what the difference between a male or a female is either. They have to see those cues from UVA. So it's um that book is really interesting. It with turns that. out her fun parts glow. Right. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Like bearded dragons. If you look at their fun parts, they glow too. It's the femoral pores. The femoral pores are not just waxy things that kind of look creepy as they get older. They actually do have a purpose and a function, and that is to leave a waxy secretion on just about everything they touch. And that's because it has those um pheromones in it or it has other information and what's really cool about uv is that uva with these animals allows them to get an accurate assessment of their partner or the other animal that's in front of them because it doesn't lie you know it's not being um they're not chemicals that can be like altered or anything like that it gives them like a true this is how this animal is this is what we're doing this is what we're looking at so 
Um, it keeps everybody a little bit more honest in the reptile world or in the animal world, even apparently. Um, and then there's a behavioral um, zoo book. It's the behavioral psychology or the social behavioral aspect or something like that of zoo animals. And again, I can send you um, the actual title because I can't remember off the space off the top of my head, but it's a newer publication. And that actually, even in there for specifically reptiles, talks about the importance of UVA um, in those guys. And then of course, UVB and things like that. So those are ones that I would recommend if you really want to nerd out and like go all in with me. There's photobiology books, there's photochemistry books, but some of those can get like pretty like seedy and like really deep in there. Um, right. But a lot of them are like dermatology books, actually. So because there's so much focus on people now with um, like melanomas and things like that, that they look at what's the positive versus the negative side of those things. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That same thing, kind of going back to talking about it, it being a little more of a high level subject is that because there isn't as much research into reptiles and they're, you know, I, I always think this one is funny too, of it makes sense, right? Like, Oh, what, why is a big chunk of herpeticulture into reptiles? Because you're alternative kids and you didn't want cats and dogs and you wanted a pet that people didn't know as much about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it turns out people don't know as much about it. Like all of the people, even the squares who were in a science lab that you used to make fun of because you wanted an emo pet, they're not studying that. They're studying cats and dogs and cows and chickens. That's mm -hmm. why you didn't want one. Like, so now when you need information on that animal, you're going to have to look at cats and dogs and cows and chickens. And in this case, human skin cancer and try yep. to figure out what that information means about your special thing because we picked the weird thing. Like that's, we picked you know, the weird thing in the weird thing in the weird thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, people one step further. <laughs> yeah. There, there just is, there's a lot of it where you, you have to infer based off of what you're reading and, and there is trial and error. And, you know, again, with your mastics folks and iguana folks and chameleon folks, like a part of that is probably why some of those people are very entrenched and, and difficult to move to new ideas is because trial and error for UV intensive animals or herbivores and things like that can mean you lose stuff. It, it scares people a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, there's, there's a lot more to it than I'm just going to switch light bulbs or I want to try it out or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's like being an ethnobotanist or uh, let's try something else. An archaeologist. There we go. That one works. Um, so an ethnobotanist, in case y'all don't know, is like looking at how plants were used and like processed and stuff like that during like a certain time period by a certain group of people. Um, but like an archaeologist, for instance, like if we go on an archaeology dig and we're like, cool, we found this, you know, super awesome, like Viking necklace. And we're like, yeah, it's from the Viking age. Well, okay. But it's on somebody that's clearly on a skeleton of like someone from Asian descent. Well, crap. Now what do we do? So you have to kind of extrapolate that information and say, okay, we know this. And now I have to take information from other sources about the era. So I don't have anything written on Viking jewelry, but I do have information from that time period about um, the Silk Road 
and where some of those travelers went. So I can start to infer that that's not abnormal, that somebody from there would be coming to here and might have a Viking necklace. The same kind of thing happens when we're looking for UV or information even just on care in general, but we're looking at, okay, well, this galliform or these chickens can do this and like they respond super well to UV love, UVA. Maybe our reptiles will respond super well to UVA because it came out and was like super excited about a light bulb. So it's an interesting puzzle and it definitely takes a special kind of nerd who likes detective work. <laughs> it takes the kind of nerd who would go from talking about a book titled Photobiology to referencing uh, the Viking guards of Persian princes that you would find in a book called The Silk Road. Uh, that is about the development of the modern world from an, <laughs> from, from an Eastern historical perspective. Yeah, that kind of nerd. <laughs> um, actually, off of the uh, dermatology thought process there, we did have a question about the uh, chances of cancer and UVA exposure and, and things like that. So um, what do you know about that? So, yes, I, I'm so impressed that you knew the Silk Road. <laughs> I love that book. <laughs> Just like super impressed. So, yes, they can get cancer from UV just like any other animal can. Here's the caveat, though. So their skin, um, their dermis especially, is actually created to take care of their UV needs. So for instance, um, bearded dragons, their uh, inside cavity, so their peritoneum, the inside lining of their cavity is actually black. And so that is not to hold heat in because Lord knows they don't need heat being held in in Australia. They got plenty to find. It's actually to protect the internal organs from excess UV lighting, whether it's A, B, they don't usually get C because that needs a solar flare, but either way, but A and B. So it protects the internal organs from having too much um, shine right on them. And then the way their skin is, is that when you look at it, like their scales are created in such a way and um, the skin that covers it is created in such a way that it protects them from excess UV. So they're only getting a certain amount. They're actually filtering it themselves so that it doesn't penetrate down into the body. So they actually have that ability naturally. So they have their own natural defenses against cancer better than we do. We were not made to go and stand in the sunlight and tan. We were meant to scurry from one area to the next and to honestly be a little bit more crepuscular than we probably are. Um, because between like 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. when, you know, predators are a little bit up, that's also where you have, you know, the highest UV levels. Um in UVA, because UVA is what causes sunburn um, most of the time. And UVA will start to become the highest around like mid-morning and then again in like the mid-afternoon realm. And it's like 300 times more prevalent than the UVB at that time. It's incredible. At noon, it's only 100 times. Like you get more UVB than UVA. But still, like it's incredible how much they're exposed to and how their bodies adapted to that. So you'll see um, animals that are exposed more to like cyclora with that thick, it's like a rhino hide. Like if you've ever pet a uh, rhinoceros iguana, you know that that is not like a pleasant experience. It is thick 
it is, you know, bristly. And it's got crystalline structures that help refract off some of that excess UV because it protects itself. Now, when we're talking about like silkies or leatherbacks um, for um, bearded dragons, that um, those phenotypes actually do have, you know, a greater risk of problems occurring because of UV if it's not if it's put into like the excess area. So from your standard bulb, there's very minimal chance of actually having an issue. It would be like if you're putting it like super concentrated, like six inches away and you're just like cook, like then you're going to have a problem. But other than that, you're really not going to have those issues because reptiles were actually created to utilize the sun to warm themselves. And part of that deal is that you need to protect yourself from the secondary effects of the sun, which is the UV. Yep. Super long-winded way to say yes and no. <laughs> well, and it, and it also plays into the idea of <laughs> enclosure design, coaching people on how to, you know, uh, is it is it arboreal or terrestrial? Do you have shade structures? Do you, you know, have you separated heat and UV, you know, timers and all these different things? Yeah. Um, it, you know, and, and just the idea that it isn't a flip on the switch and flip off the switch, um, which, you know, from the pet keepers per perspective, you know, some folks I understand would either struggle with those things or it's the detractor type of thing. Um, my, I think I'm weird because I came from the saltwater side of things. In yeah. You that, are out like complicated. <laughs> what? Yeah. You started complicated. Be like me and start with the null. Yeah. Well, right. Jeez. <laughs> um, in that, you know, I never thought it was strange to have to have two, three, four lights and, and three timers. And, and the setup for all that is usually a pain, you know? Yeah. And then you're sitting in your dining room and, and the lights cycle through your fish tank and then, oh, well, it's blue. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's 7.30. And then, like, it's not weird. It just it just goes like that because for, for the same idea of looking at that art on the wall, as you go snorkeling and you look under it and it's like, oh, really bright. Everything's blue green. Then it's dark. And then like, you could just see it, you know, <laughs> and like, and then we were just trying to fake that. And then now it probably does get a little weird for people with the idea of visible spectrum things and then struggling with exposures for that, that type of stuff. I, I could definitely see where folks would have issues with that of trying to, because if, if you were a, a dart frog nerd and you had your beautiful jungle wall and you cycled through that, it, that's just visible plant light. It, it, mm -hmm. it's, and that makes sense to you, you know, and you already know that you're, you're thinking temperate. You're not concerned about heat. We're under the jungle canopy structure. We're, we're out of the brights. Like your brain is already going that way. Yep. And then you have somebody that's like, well, actually it refracts through some stuff and there are breaks in the leaves and they'll seek those out. And if you put this little spotlight here, your frogs will go to it. I promise, you know, and, and until you do it and then you're like, Oh, first call, like literally they go to it and get excited for the day and then chirp out for their girlfriends. Cause they know it's daytime and like literally, you know, and, until you've experienced it, it, 
it is a little bit of the unknown and the it just doesn't jive with what you can see in a lot of the historical experience of yeah. blasting monitors. Uh, I I need Please to figure out. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I need to figure out a way to. I'm going to post some pictures tomorrow, probably on Lizard Brain and Coal Black, and I'll and I'll show folks. I have um, one of your bulbs over a uh, plain old. Uh, Niger Euromastix orange male and I've separated uh, heat and, and UV and he's a boy so bright orange belly and you know kind of dingy yeah. back and and I'll, and I'll show the before and after I, I literally just did a Boy Scout show today and I had the lizard out who, he was just chilling and then a, mm -hmm. Indy walked around with him and I walked around with my cell phone showing a picture of what he looks like fired up uh, to, to all the kids um it's a paint orange, like absurd lizard. Like he just, he was like, it's springtime and ladies and just like orange. I'm sure. Dude. And, and you can, you can, I, I hate that it's so difficult to show those things. Like he mm -hmm. literally walks over and he's like, oh, UV. I'm starting to like, like energize Euromastics like energize with color and then he scoots over and starts to heat up and it gets more orange and then he goes back and he's mm -hmm. like uh-huh and then he sits in the heat and he turns bright it's like a freaking super saiyan he turns bright orange and then he goes and eats some stuff and then he's just walking around like where's the chicks at where are the chick like you can watch a lizard power up under lights and heat like a freaking matchbox car. Like it's, I don't know. It's so crazy that I, you know, I, I guess if, if you are a, a pet keeper or a single, uh, you know, individual animal or, or single species, you, you may not have had the experience. And so I understand that, you know, we have very diverse collections, obviously. So our experiences are a little different. Um, but man, I, I watched a Euromastix power up today. Like it was, it was the craziest thing. And the, you know, I've, I've seen a rhinoceros iguana wake up, got the blue on the sides, going to show off for the chicks, you know, the UV powers up and that sucker gets dark. Like mm -hmm. he gets dark, sits in it for a while, goes and eats and does some stuff and then does his iguana things, blue and silver for the ladies goes back. And you can see this animal alter its appearance based on the light it's exposed to. And I know that because that thing only has plant lights and a deep heat projector. Other than that, it's got a UV spotlight. It doesn't have mm -hmm. a blasting heat lamp like the Euromastics. So I know where the changes are coming from. I don't know. Like it's To me, it's such a no-brainer to be like, shoot the lasers at all of them it's it's so good like you know you can't see the lasers but they're there i yeah. promise <laughs> they will you know, show I mean, you that they're there and and people hear me talk about it like my green iguana he's probably he's between four and five feet he's an adult male um came through the rescue route so not like gigantic but he's adult size mm -hmm. um his enclosure is seven long 
it's I think technically six tall, but I have a ridiculous substrate in it. So like <laughs> my kids can stand in it still. So it's plenty tall. Um, Which kid though? That's kind of the question. Not Walter, the other two. Okay. Um, I, there will be pictures floating around on the internet today. I had somebody else's kids in my shop and their kids climbed in there to sit with the iguana also. Um, it's a big box for a lizard. <laughs> And, but it's the same way, you know, I've separated heat and UV. You can watch them seek these things out. And, mm -hmm. and with all iguanids and, and most agamids as well, they, they do, they follow, you know, they put the front of the head, they get the center of the head there to figure out where, you know, where they want their body to be situated. And especially for iguanids, because they're trying to use the dewlap and trying to visually, you know, display and, and how they mm -hmm. interact with the world they lead with their head and, and really show that off. And then, and you can, you can watch that happen in real time and, and know that it's happening because above that thing is like an seven, almost seven foot five strip led plant light. That's absurd. And that's a lot. He, he could care less. Like he just wanders around and does iguana stuff. And then that light comes on and he shoves his head under it. Mm -hmm. Hangs out for however long he hangs out. And then usually dive bombs off of it because he's trying to get to people. But goes and does iguana things. You know. Um, yeah, I just, I have had so many like tangible real world experiences with animals that need and seek uv like i don't know I, that's my pitch for their they work i guess like it, it, you know and you need that uva so that's actually the driving factor for a lot of the basking um some animals some reptiles can see uvb or they can sense it um there's um there's different theories on it for like instance uh green anoles actually have like uh the target cells in their head it's actually in their brain they have like these little target cells in their brain that says that's a good uv spot so that i can get vitamin d going that's amazing they haven't proven that out in other animals i don't know why they haven't proven it out in like bearded dragons since their brains are larger and probably easier to dissect but neither here nor there i'm not the researcher um but there is evidence that they do use their like pride line like you said with the hood like straight out and stuff like that but they can't see with their eyes proper. So each reptile uh, species has its own like adaptive way of finding UV, but they all look for it. It's just a matter of what's causing it. Like in sea snakes, they're not really searching it out so much as they have some along like their tail. They have like these receptor, the photoreceptors along their tail. And part of that, so they can tell if like their ass is sticking out of the water. Like that's a bad thing for a sea snake. But part of it is also so that they can come up they can tell how much UV they've got and they can go back down so that they're not, you know, exposing themselves. And then other ones have it along their body. So it's really interesting how animals actually adapt to find that UV and then how they bask with it. Like you'll actually see different behaviors if you use like the two sides. You'll see different behaviors in their basking too. For sure. So in the chat, we had a question and Ryan is lurking and answered. So I'm going to read that out for folks. 
uh, and said, what is the impact of enclosure tops on UV light, glass, plastic screen, the, the variety of things that are available to folks? And Ryan's answer was UV is blocked by glass and plastic and can be reduced 15 to 55% by screen, obviously depending on, you know, size of screen and, and you know, how much uh, penetration you're going to get. Uh, if you're using chicken wire or if you're using, you know, mesh, uh, those things are going to change. Uh, I will say, uh, Wally uh, asked that and said, you know, prefaced it with, unless you've already talked about this. And then Ryan said they didn't talk about it. And to, give, did, uh, Ryan. <laughs> to give Erica the plug, uh, we did. And she split the middle between 15 and 55%. Erica went with 30 so obviously her preferred well, most of them her, are 30. her preferred like screen size is middle yeah. of the road not yeah. she's not a chicken wire or a mesh lady i'm she's not a, a side of, she, she's a 30% lady um so yeah uh yes but the the big thing being uh glass uh plastic the the plexi tops depending on uh your enclosure style that absolutely is something that you need to account for if your lighting system is outside of your enclosure mm -hmm. um, which, again, is kind of one of the benefits to. <laughs> yes, no, Ryan, you missed it. Your, your wife's on it. She knows what she's talking about. Um, you know, again, it, going with enclosure design and, and placement in these things and, and whether or not your lighting rig is going to be the exterior, if you're going to, you know, split the difference and maybe your heat's exterior and UVs in, and however you want to play that out, um, mm -hmm. you know, Again, a lot of those things are maybe a little higher level concept, you know, more on the next level of, of keeping an enclosure design and things like that. Um, but yeah, well, it's really quick. Um, there is glass on our bulbs. If you look, there is glass. Please don't remove the glass. It's actually really important um, to uh, spread out your lighting and everything like that. And it's a special quartz glass. So it's meant for UV to come through, UVB to come through it and all the UVA. Please don't remove it. <laughs> it's really not good for the bulb. Um, and again, it's meant to come through because there's two different types of glasses that can actually go through, but none of your tanks are going to be made out of that. Right. Yeah. Right, and, I always have people. <laughs> no, and, and like I said, that it's so weird how different hobbies. Because again, if if you're in the saltwater hobby, it's like, oh, are you a metal halide guy or a UV guy, or, or not UV? I'm sorry, a, a LED guy. Are you, uh, you know, do you like this pump or that pump, or mm -hmm. you know, and and you have camps and people's preferences in, oh, in all pets, you know, hobbies or what have you. But uh, same way, like, well, if you're gonna be a metal halide person, then you need this. If you're gonna be a this person, then you know, to know the. Well, it's this glass, not that glass, and it's this plastic. You know, yeah. just the the different nuances and things. Where in some hobbies, that's old hat. You know, mm -hmm. if, if if you're a fish person, you're expected to know these things, <laughs> right? Because you because you're you're supposed to know. You know, yeah. You you didn't read the fish book to know the fish thing, and then you, like it's, mm -hmm. you know, there's these base levels of of where hobbies are going, and on the at least on the lighting side or the full spectrum lighting side we're really like kind of playing catch up, you know? Um, yeah, that's, that's a very interesting idea. Thank you for asking that. Wally. So we are 
uh, actually over two hours. Holy crap. Uh, and that's about Ryan, I would like to point out. <laughs> it is. It is. And and this was, uh, you know, more emotional, squishy talk and less math and engineering. That's fine. Uh, you know, went Silk Road and books and whatnot. Um, Protractor out next time and some engineering formulas that I Googled really quick. No, because neither like, of us is going to know what we're talking about then. That's not going to nope, work. Make it sound nerdy. True, true. <laughs> Uh, before I let you go, what is going on for Tinley Park? What's the plan? What are we doing? What's, so what's the we will be there. Uh, we will be there at Tinley, and it will be absolutely amazing. Uh, we will have all of our bulbs, so excited! And then we're also going to have the Smart Tech, so and our new snake bags, which are amazing. So we rounded the corners of the snake bags. We actually had them tucked in so that they don't have like that little corner that they can keep pushing like their snout into. Um, oh, okay. And then we made the cord, the nylon cords thinner and longer so that you could tie it around more. Cause some people like to tie it one way. Some people like to tie it another way. I did not know that there were camps on how to properly tie a snake bag. Good gravy. There are question before you continue with your NARBC talk. Was, were those ideas, uh, birthed from your other hobbies that involve bags and dice and things of carrying all sorts a of bags. Did you make a um, dice bag for snakes? Did you make a D20 bag for snakes? Is that what happened? If you actually look at it, it looked just like a D20 bag. <laughs> Eric is a D&D &D nerd. Right. I am. I prefer classes necromancer. Thank you very much. Um, so we do that we do have animal dice bags um and they have we've reinforced and made the loop on the side um larger and heavier duty so like you're gonna get some when you come to tinley and i want you to like beat the tar out of them basically so uh that's a thing because i currently have a very large bull snake that is a, obviously has a pituophis face and has figured out mm -hmm. that she can push her butt uh, along the knot because I, I zip and knot my bags currently and she can push her butt on that end and her face in the corner uh, and she's a pretty big snake so uh, she she goes in other containers now because she has figured that out so yeah she's sitting there she's, she's like I'm gonna get my tail through this air hole and unlock the yeah. she's a box she's a box <laughs> snake now instead of a bag snake so we'll uh we'll we'll test that out yeah nope we'll send you the big ones and then they still all come with the velcro um straps too for Which are extra super security. helpful yeah big yeah. Time. especially and if you're bagging lizards that's a big thing the, the yeah the and they're really, really nice you have that. to like you know, lose something and you're like, oh God, how do I do this? Ooh, like this is really nice. So, cause yeah. they're not like, they're pretty long. Um, so we'll be bringing those and then all of our swivel mounts. So we have a whole bunch of swivel mounts um, that can be put into your enclosure because people are having a hard time finding reliable mounts to put in their enclosure. And we test them out in our, our, our spiny neck mangrove monitor enclosures that hang on them like full mm -hmm. weight. Um, they use them as you know, ropes to basically swing on. Uh, we also use them in our higher humidity enclosures, so like our Amazon tree boa enclosures, and we haven't had any issues with them, um, with the humidity and stuff like that. So they're a great product for those guys. We don't have any more of the um, cages because we are actually working with a new prototype that's coming out. 
And then we still, I'm so sorry, I get asked this all the time, I will not have UV meters, but I promise you when our new UV meter comes out, you are going to all plots. It will be amazing. So that's what we got. Very cool. Awesome. Glad to hear it. It was cool. Where can folks find VivTech products? Um, you can find us at VivTechProducts.com. You can also find us at VivPet Product, VivTech Products on Instagram and Facebook. And then if you're on TikTok, it has to be like the real VivTech Products because there was somebody else that already tried to use VivTech Products. Um, not entirely sure who it is or why, but it's there. Um, so it's the real or the real and that's the underscore VivTech Products. So you'll have to find it that way. But um, right now, we're most active on Instagram and Facebook. Honestly, Instagram is probably where we post the most, and then Facebook kind of gets like the secondary, you know, just yeah, put it there. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people are kind of trending that way. I... It's people because people can choose to find you. Like you had talked about before, Bill, on one of our uh, podcasts way back yonder, um, you can curate your feed easier with. Yeah. Um, Instagram. So we're finding that people who are finding us through Instagram want to find us yeah. and are interested in it as opposed to, you know, being put onto Facebook and then you're hoping somebody finds you, but there's just so much on there. So. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat trending that way myself. Yeah. I didn't think I would be that person. I am that person now. I'm like over there. <laughs> yeah. It, well, and it is getting harder and harder with the whole Facebook group, social media, all that. And I like, I think I'm older than I want to be. <laughs> just <laughs> the same age, you butt. Can we there's, not say that? Well, there's, there's some, there's some whiteness. There's in some the grays in here. I just oh, use dye. Whatever. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Oh. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. My plug for an Airbnb and going to hang out with, uh, the Viv Tech folks and see their stuff. I, I don't know, man. I I think that that experience is very different. I think that the buying experience with that is very different. Um, it should make sense to folks who are in herpeticulture because that experience is very different when you're getting animals, and so it makes sense that that experience is very uh, similar when you're getting equipment. Or at least it makes mm -hmm. sense to me. Um, yeah, man, go try to break it's their stuff and by plug an it engineer in. <laughs> and a reptile medicine nerd it doesn't get yeah. much better <laughs> yeah i'm all about it man i use it in a lot of stuff and i'm continually adding it to more stuff so mm -hmm. i'll keep i'll keep posting pictures and i will start tagging you on everything be like ambil <laughs> <laughs> for sure awesome well thank you for coming i really appreciate it it was fun. I don't know how to get out of this, though. <laughs> All right. uh, we'll see you. Awesome. That was episode 50. Uh, I'm really glad Erica came on. Uh, glad Ryan got to come into the chat and, and talk to folks, answer some questions. That was cool. Really appreciate it. Uh, hope all the family stuff on that end is going well. Uh, as always, if I can point accurately, uh, black box cages. I am using Viv Tech products inside black box cages. So that's kind of cool. 
um, they continue to make cool stuff. They are uh, always progressing. Uh, I really enjoy the things I have from them. I have more stuff on the way from them, so I'll have more videos up uh, about Black Box in the future. And the Black Box I have coming uh, here, actually pretty quickly, is coming flat-packed. So I'm going to do some videos uh, showing how they're packaged, how they are shipped, uh, showing construction and things like that. So you guys can see a little bit more of that. And they, the ones that are coming are set up for heat and UV separately, like I just talked about in this episode with a full spectrum plant light. And so I'll show you guys what I have planned for that. Uh, the UV in those will be VivTech products uh, plugged into Arcadia lamp holders. And then the rest of the lighting and the deep heat projector will be from Arcadia. And so you guys will be able to see what it is we were talking about there uh, with the animal being able to choose and, and things like that. And I'll show you how I measure and, and make my choices on those things uh, because the different enclosures will have actually near maybe all of their different types of lights because I have uh, a tropical animal, two, well, one savanna animal. I have an animal that is from a temperate climate and I have one desert. So I should be able to use their uh, whole spectrum of bulbs, actually, to be able to show you guys some of the choices that I make there as far as shade structures and, and the animal having access to UV, uh, as well as heat using the DP projector instead of the light bulbs. Uh, so that'll be pretty cool. So keep an eye out for that. I have guests lined up all the way until, man, the middle of May. So that's cool. I have... Uh, quite a diversity of guests going into the year. I've talked about that a couple of times now. Uh, different subjects, different parts of herpeticulture, uh, people with some different experiences. That should be pretty cool. Obviously, all centered around herpeticulture and lizards in general. Uh, to me, when I think about UV, I, I automatically go to lizards. I do use it on snakes as well, but I know a lot of folks come to the UV uh, conversation from iguanas, chameleons, your mastics, the, these much more UV and light intensive animals. And we just typically equate that with uh, lizards, although I do use it in snakes. So I, I hope that those of you who came this route, who are interested in lizards primarily, uh, got something out of that. Uh, I know that the, the vast majority of the commonly kept lizard species do have some serious UV needs. Uh, and that's always kind of kept us behind the curve uh, compared to snake keepers, because they don't always go that route. Uh, and a lot of our popular animals are herbivores, and then they really need it. And so we, we've had some pretty stark differences between lizards and snakes there, uh, specifically centered on UV and light. So that could have played in for a lot of people. Uh, so as always, I will see you guys again in two weeks. Later. Mm -hmm.